All right. If you, if you have your Bibles this morning, grab them. Uh, Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And uh, just to kind of give you, while you're turning, give you kind of a landscape of where we're going from here. We'll have one sermon left in Acts. We're going to cover eight chapters next week. Um, and so, do what? Yeah, I guess so. And so, uh, then we're going to start a new sermon series through the book of Romans. And so, we're really excited about that. Uh, so, Acts 20 is where we'll be today. Starting in verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and pens these words. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They, They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. As we start this morning, there is a, a line, if you're taking notes in your, in your worship guide, there's a line at the top of, in your worship guide, and it says, what I want written on my tombstone, with the blank there. I want you to take a moment and think about that and reflect on that idea, and write there, what words would you want penned on your tombstone? I want you to take this moment and, and really think, not, not to come up with a perfect phrase, because no one else is going to see this, it's just for you. But at the end of your life, if your life had to be summed up in a simple phrase, what would you want it to be? What would you want the testimony of your life summed up, carved in stone to be? As you consider it, I'll give you a couple examples. Leonardo da Vinci's uh, last words were, 
I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Might be a perfectionist, I'm not sure. Elvis Presley's last words were at a press conference were, I hope I haven't bored you. Merv Griffin's tombstone reads, I will not be right back after this message. Uh, One particular dentist's tombstone said, Walter Brown lies here filling his last cavity. Uh, I saw one tombstone that said, I was hoping for a pyramid. And maybe the closest and dearest to my heart that I saw was, I raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. Some of these are funny, but seriously, if your tombstone was going to summarize your life, what would it say? Maybe it would say, I gave 50 years of service to GE, I made a lot of money, but I lost my family. Maybe it would say, I had a lot of fun, did a lot of crazy things, and I'm sad it's over. None of us want that. So whatever you do want it to say, you have to start living it now. You have to start writing your funeral sermon now. You have to live your life now in accordance with what you want people to think about you then. Martin Luther said it this way, Lord, teach us to think about death so that we might learn how to live. I think my job as a pastor in many ways is to lead you in such a way that you live in such a way that you would die well. In some ways, I think my job is really just to prepare us all for death, that we might die well. So today, I want you to leave thinking about the end of your life, thinking about your own funeral, thinking about what people will say at your funeral. And as a result, I want you to leave this morning knowing exactly the sort of life you want to live today so that that funeral can be preached then. Our text this morning that we read is, it's interesting, it is the only extended speech in the entire book of Acts that is given or directed toward Christians. Every other speech in the book of Acts is directed toward unbelievers. Uh, But this one and this one alone is given by Paul to fellow followers of Jesus about his own life. It is a sort of farewell speech because he knows that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and beaten and probably killed, and he will never see these people or really anybody else ever again. And so he's going to summarize his life. And in so doing, I think he shows us how we too ought to live. This morning, I want us to see five things, five markers, that as followers of Jesus, we should all want these things written on our tombstones or said at our funerals. Before we go further, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word? Would you use your scriptures to to encourage our hearts and challenge us that we might leave this morning more conformed to the image of Christ? more like you in every way. Would you help us to reflect this morning on our funerals so that we might live in accordance with the vision you might lay out for our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name and all his people said. Verse 24 said, but I, Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying here that his single focus has been to do what the Lord has called him to do. 
He's not concerned about his life or anything else, only what God has called him to do. He's, not, he's been threatened by jail. He's been threatened by danger. He's been threatened by death. But nothing has stopped him from doing what the Lord has called him to do. So for Paul, that was to travel the known world, to plant churches, and to reach the Gentiles. And so Paul, over the course of his life, takes three separate missionary journeys, traveling the known world throughout Europe and Asia, uh, and, and he's planting churches, traveling and teaching, training leaders to plant other churches. God had called him to that task, and he gave his whole life to that task. See, at the end of the day, all any of us are responsible for is to do what God has called us to do. So here's the question I want you to answer first. What has Jesus called you to do? What has he called you to do in your life? You are not responsible to save the world. You are only responsible to be faithful in the work that God has put in front of each and every one of you as an individual. What he's called you to. Now I know often pastors and missionaries and people in church or Christian work will talk about uh, their call to ministry. And it'll be this, this moment where they felt God called them to be a pastor or a missionary or, or whatever the case may be. But I think very much in the same way, or at least in a similar way, God calls each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus to something, to a task, to a ministry. When I say ministry, I don't just mean vocationally, professionally, but to a particular thing that you set out that's your ministry. He calls you to something, and it looks different for everyone. And our task in that calling is to simply be faithful. We are not to be the master, but the steward, the scripture tells us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, what is required of stewards is that they be found faithful. A steward is a servant, right? A steward is not in charge of the master's house. He is in charge of what the master puts him in charge of in that house. The master is in charge of the house. The steward is only in charge of what the master tells him to do. So think about it like this. Think about somebody who manages money. If the master comes to a steward and says, I want you to invest $100 into uh, this company over here, and the steward goes and does it, and then the company goes bankrupt and the master loses all the $100, it is not the steward's fault. He is not to blame. The steward does not get credit when things go well or failure when things don't go well. He is simply to be faithful in what the master has called him to do. Success and failure are master words. Stewards, us, should be concerned with faithfulness, to do what the master has told us to do. What God requires of each of us is faithfulness to do what God has called us to do. If God calls you to share the gospel with a coworker, you should be faithful and go share the gospel with that coworker as many times as you are able and as many times as God calls you to go share the gospel with that coworker. And if that coworker never believes the gospel, never trusts in Christ, and thinks everything that you say is hogwash, silly, ridiculousness, you have not failed because you did and you were faithful to what the master called you to do. Your steward. Does that make sense? Give me a nod. You're tracking. Okay, okay, y'all, okay, y'all with me? All right. You see, God can do more with one act of faithfulness, I believe, than we could do on our own with a thousand lifetimes. We are simply called to be faithful to what God would call us to do. 
Sometimes, though, I think what we do is we evaluate our future. We evaluate the position we're in. And we say, where is it that I can be the most effective? Where can I be the most helpful? Where can I bring the most value? Where can I make the biggest impact? But what, those are the wrong questions. We should be asking the question, where does God want me? Where does God want me to serve? Where does God want me to work? Where does God want me to be faithful? And that can be a scary question to ask. God, where do you want me? Because sometimes God wants us to do something or some things that are hard. He right? calls us to do things that are like, I can't do that, God. What are you talking about? You sent that message to the wrong person. Sometimes he calls us to do something that's uncomfortable or scary, not easy. But we are not our own. We belong to God. And wherever he leads, we go. Wherever he calls, we know he's calling for good reason. And we go and we follow him. And I think that we will find, once we get to heaven, that God, through the smallest acts of obedience on our part, through the smallest acts of faithfulness on our part, that things that we think were so insignificant, so small, that actually God was using them to work in mighty, powerful ways, and we never saw them. See, success in this life is not actually marked by fame and fortune and power. It is marked by identifying what God has called you to do and being completely faithful in doing that thing. Uh, many of you in this room had the privilege of knowing a, a little lady in this church named Sudi Dunn. And uh, if you, I got to know Sudi for the last few years of my life. And uh, if you knew Sudi, she, I don't know how old she was when she died. She's 80-something, I think. Um, and she weighed probably 64 pounds soaking wet. Um, and uh, she was up in, here at this building uh, every week cleaning. It's just a little bitty frail old woman, just, but it's tough as, I mean, tougher than me. And she would be up here cleaning every week. And when, on Wednesday nights, she would come up here and she would help Elaine and all the different ladies in the kitchen and doing things in there and cleaning. And anytime something was going on that she thought she could help out with, she would be up here and she would be helping and doing things. And nobody, nobody, a lot of people didn't see her. A lot of people didn't see what she was doing. But she didn't care whether or not you knew what she was doing. She'd be up here cleaning, helping, serving. Because God had called her to do those things. And she was faithful in it. Faithful in doing what God was calling her to do. And a few months ago, she died. And I think I know that the first words she heard when she opened her eyes and saw her Savior were well done by a good and faithful servant. Man, what is it like, what it must be like to look in the face of Jesus, the one who is, is true and is real, who is the beginning and the end, who is the alpha and the omega, to look you in the eye and to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You did exactly what I called you to do. You are faithful in what I called you to do. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You too can hear those words. You must be faithful in doing what the Lord has called you to do. The first thing all followers of Jesus should want on our tombstones, the thing that we want said at our funerals, was that he, that I, was faithful in what the Lord called me to do. Can you say that? Do you even know what the Lord has called you to do? Maybe you need to take some time and pray and think and reflect and figure out what is the Lord calling you to do? Because he's calling you to something. 
calling me to something. And are you faithful in it? Let's look at verse 20 and 27. Uh, they, they say the same thing basically twice. Paul says, Luke writes, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And in 27 he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, Paul rightly saw himself as a herald of a message from God. And Paul knew that he wasn't responsible for the content of that message. Or he was not responsible for whether people liked that message. Whether they agreed with it or believed it or not. He simply saw himself as a herald, a deliverer of this message from God. Have you ever heard the Postal Service's motto? It says, Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. And I think Paul's motto would have been very similar. That neither shipwreck, nor stoning, nor jail, nor the threat of death stays this courier from the swift completion of delivering this divine message. You see, Paul took this task of delivering the message of the gospel so seriously that in verse 26, he says that he is innocent of the blood of all. Now, why does he say that? He's saying that because he's saying, no one on the last day could stand and look at me and say, Paul, why didn't you tell me? No one who is bound for hell on the last day will look, be able to look at Paul and say, Paul, if you'd have told me, I would have believed. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all because I've told everybody. I have not shrunk I like that word, shrunk. Like I didn't get too scared that I shrunk back in fear and didn't say anything. I, didn't, I never shrunk back. I told you all. I did not, I did not shrink to tell you all, the whole counsel of God. No one can say to him that. He says he taught the whole counsel of God. He didn't sugarcoat it. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't make the message more palatable for people to receive it. He spoke the truth in love, and he let the truth stand for itself. You know, I've seen people leave churches because they didn't like the things that were talked about. Maybe the pastor talked too much about sin or judgment or wrath and wanted more encouragement. We had one guy leave our church when I was a youth pastor because our, our pastor took a cup of, of, of grape juice and he poured it out, talk, like the wine, talking about God pouring out his wrath before we took communion. And he got mad because he said, well, we just talk about wrath too much. And why don't we just talk about love? Why don't we got to talk about God's anger? But the truth of the gospel is not all sunshine and rainbows. The truth of the gospel is not made for Oprah Winfrey and television. It is a truth that we cannot help but share because we are in danger of something. And the only reason we have good news is because there is bad news that the good news saves us from, right? And so sometimes the message, the truth, stings a little bit. Sometimes it's not super palatable. Sometimes it's hard to hear. Because it, sometimes it's not just all encouraging. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. And the only way we know to grab onto the life raft is, because, is if we know that we are drowning. There's got to be bad news before there's good news. And Paul did not back down from sharing the whole counsel of God, the whole truth, sharing the truth of the gospel with everyone he came in contact with. And my question for us this morning is, can we say the same? Have we been clear with our friends? Have we been clear with our family? Have we been clear about those in our life about the message of God's grace in the gospel? Or have we shrunk back in fear? And that word is convicting for me. But I've shrunk back. But I've gotten small. Because I was afraid of what people may think or say or reject me. It doesn't mean that we've persuaded everyone. 
It doesn't mean that Jesus is the only thing we ever talk about and we just annoy people to death by talking to them about Jesus every second of every day. That's not, we can talk about football too. It doesn't mean that we beat people to death, always arguing with them or, or you know, coming to people and say, turn or burn, and yelling at them on the street corner. That's not what that means. It just means that you have this courageous, uh, uh, bold sense about you that when the right moments come, that you speak the truth in gentleness and in love, but yet boldly. And you do not back down from speaking the whole truth of God when you have opportunity. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and I thought this was really good. If, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Paul says in this text that he did not, seep, did not cease to weep over them day and night. My question is, do we weep over our lost friends? Does it grieve our hearts over those in our life that we know are headed for destruction? We weep for them. Do we not shrink back to share with them? Or do we shrink in fear? Do we weep and does it stir us to action? Will your, will your headstone, will your gravestone, will your funeral, will it be said that I bravely spoke the truth? I bravely spoke the truth. Will it say that I was faithful in what the Lord called me to do? And will it say that I bravely spoke the truth? Three, will it say that I pointed people to Jesus? Will it say I pointed people to Jesus? Verse 19, Paul says, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Listen, this is, this is like... This is an apostle. This is a church leader. This is like the guy who writes a lot of the New Testament. And he says, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Now, this is not what we think of when we think of great leaders. When we think of great leaders, we think of people who, who are polished and quick-witted, people who can speak with great eloquence, can stir up a crowd and get people uh, moving. We think of trailblazers and innovators. But I think God's definition and our definition of great leaders might be at odds with one another. See, the word humble that, Paul, that Luke uses here, that Paul uses of himself here, can often be translated as weakness, and it is almost always used as an insult. But it's interesting how insults of the world become virtues inside of Christianity. Isn't that interesting? You see, because we are not to be enthralled by extraordinary men and women with great character, worthy to be praised. We are to be about a great Savior who can save the weakest, most broken, most guilty of sinners. Paul doesn't want to leave them with an example to admire himself, but a Savior to trust. He doesn't want to say, look at me. He wants to say, look at Jesus. Don't weep for me when I'm gone. Look to Jesus. 
He wants people's attention to be on Jesus and not himself. We want people's attention to be on Jesus and not us. So we don't point people to how awesome we are, to how good of a job we've done, how this church or that group wouldn't be the same without me. Oh, man, well, that church wouldn't be anything if I wasn't there doing X and A, B, and C. That's not, that's not our attitude. And for starters, it's not true. But also, because we want people to see how weak we are. That's so counterintuitive, right? Like We want people to see how weak we are so that they might see how great Jesus is. If Jesus saved me because I'm awesome, it doesn't make Jesus that great. It makes him smart that he saved me because I'm awesome. But if I'm a screw-up and if I'm weak and if I am broken and Jesus saved me, it makes him awesome. So let us point people to our own weakness. Let's not be afraid and ashamed to take our masks off, not just the cloth ones over our face, but the the fake ones that we put up. Let's not be afraid to take off and show people who we really are so that they might see how great Jesus actually is. We want to point people to him and not us. Paul says through tears and trials, God is, is through tears and trials, it is a reminder of God. We are made perfect through weakness. We're made perfect through our weakness, through our tears. And that the strength in us is his. We are a people so often afraid to show weakness, afraid to show failure, afraid to show flaws. But we shouldn't be because by our very nature as Christians, we are admitting to being flawed and broken failures who have a great and beautiful and glorious and perfect Savior who makes us whole. When I confess my sin to a trusted brother, he does, you know what he doesn't say to me? When I come to him and I say, hey, man, I failed in this and this and this way this week, and I need to own that. He doesn't say to me, shame on you. He doesn't say to me, do better. He doesn't say to me, how dare you. He doesn't look and beat me down. He looks at me and he says, Let's look to Christ. He doesn't look to me and beat me down. He says, man, me too, been there. Let's look to Jesus together. He's a good Savior. And he will save us to the uttermost, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's trust him. Let's cast our sins upon him, and he will cast them as far as the east is from the west. Let's hold on to these things no more. When I do something well, and people want to praise me. When you do something well and people want to praise you for it, let's not be the people who welcome the praise and, oh, yeah, puff me up. Yeah, bring me a little bit more of that. Yeah, a little more of that. Let's not be those people. Let's be the people who say, man, I'll, I could only do good because of him who works in me and through me. Our weakness serves to remind us of our great Savior. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Our life should be marked by pointing people to him. My hope is that at your funeral or on your gravestone, that it could be faithfully said, here lies your name, who lived to point people to Jesus. Our tombstones, our funerals, they should say, I, I was faithful in what the Lord called me to do. I bravely spoke the truth. I pointed people to Jesus, and I was radical in generosity. Verse 33 to 35, he says, Paul says, I coveted no, one that's, no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Growing up, I loved country music. And I don't love country music anymore because country music is not country music anymore. Can I get an amen? And when I was in high school, a song by Tim McGraw came out, and it was called uh, Live Like You Were Dying. Some of y'all just want to start singing it. I know y'all. And in it, he talks about what he would do if, if in his life he, was, he only had so much time left to live, what he would do. And, he, you know, he said he would go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and he'd go 2.7 seconds on a bull name. Do y'all know the song? I'm having a hard time not just going, skydiving. If we knew we only had a short time to live, our immediate response would be the same thing. It would be, okay, what are the things that I want to do? Who are the, thi- who are the people that I want to spend time with? I've got, I got a week left to live. I want to do everything that I want to do and cram it into that week and live it up because I only got a short time left. But we would focus on us. But Jesus... When he was about to die, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. He was about to die. He didn't say, guys, let's go skydiving because I've always wanted to do that. It sounds awesome. He said, guys, sit down because I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, you ain't. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I am. And he showed them that he came to serve and not just be served. That Jesus always was coming to give more than he took. And Paul, the apostle Paul, was the same. Paul worked hard. He worked a second job making tents so that nobody would have to be burdened by giving him money to support his ministry. And that nobody could, could condemn him or critique him for taking money. So he worked a second job, built tents so that he could do this. And it says that he was especially eager to help the poor, to help the suffering, to help the marginalized, to give away to them, to make sure that everyone had what they need. Paul modeled Jesus' words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you have ever met a generous person in your life, which some of us have, some, we've met particularly generous people in our life, not just generous with their money, but with their money, with their time, with their, with their attention to us, people who are particularly generous, uh, generous, man, they have this, they're infectious to be around, right? Like you just, they're like almost otherworldly, probably because they are. Right? It's just, it's so odd to be around them. You just, you just want to. It's like, man, this... How do I give away stuff like this person? Right? Man, God has called us to be like that. He has called us to be generous people. We pray every week that we would increase in generosity in our relationships and our resources, our time, our money. And ask yourself, in your generosity, do you give expecting nothing in return? Do you give expecting nothing in return? Do you serve your spouse? without the exception of them serving you in, in response? Or do you serve your spouse so they won't bother you for the next four hours while you watch the football game? I mean, I'll do that. I'm going to go home and wash the dishes so she won't bother me so I can watch the game. Do we serve our spouses with no expectations of getting something in return? Do you automatically go with your spouse's preferences and sacrificing your own? Do you see your children 
as people in the image of God to be served? Or do you give your time to your children with strings attached? What are you doing with your money? Are you hoarding it? Are you spending it all in a lavish lifestyle? Are you, or are you leveraging your wealth and your money for the kingdom of God and for other people? I was in a fantasy football draft this week, and it was the type of fantasy football draft where uh, you don't just pick people in, a, in an order. You get 200 fake dollars, and you, you, you got to buy all your players. And so we all bid on the players that we want, and whoever, you know, Bids the most on that player gets that player. And you got $200 to spend, and you got to, you know, use it wisely. Well, there was a particular person sitting next to me in this room who I won't call out, but he has a Bengals jersey on. I'll just say that. And uh, he was sitting next to me, and like, we're like halfway through, and that dude spent no money. I'm like, bro, you got to start spending some money. You got to buy some players. You can't take it with you. I'm not writing you a check for 50 bucks when this is all over. You got to spend it. It's fake. And, and he's like, no, I know, man, I'm just cheap, I'm just cheap. And so he goes, he spends, man, he, we end the draft, and he's got $54 left over. I'm like, well, sorry, you don't get it, right? And it was funny, but I think sometimes we live our lives like that. Like we can take our wealth with us when we go, forgetting that heaven is literally made of gold, and our stuff is worth nothing there. But we think we might take our wealth with us. Instead of seeing that our wealth is something to be leveraged for the kingdom of God to advance his kingdom in the world. See, God is the master. We are but the stewards. And however he directs us to use it, we are simply called to be faithful, to use it how he would want. We should want every relationship and facet of our lives to be marked by the idea that it is better to give than to receive. Let us be givers and not takers. My spouse, my friends, my parents, my career, my children, my my wealth, my resources, my time, my energy are all gifts of the Lord that I give, that we should give away for the sake of others, for the sake of God's kingdom. May it be written on our tombstones and may it be said at our funerals that we are radical in generosity, that it was we would rather give than take. We gave more than we took. So our tombstone should say, I was faithful in what the Lord called me to do. I bravely spoke the truth. I pointed people to Jesus. I was radical in generosity. And finally, that I finished strong. In this speech, Paul tells them that imprisonment and beatings await him in Jerusalem. And that he's still going to go anyway. And he says this in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. There are a lot of people who start well. It's easy to start something well. Man, I've started losing weight I can't tell you how many times. I've never finished well. It's easy to start well. It's hard to finish well. I think there are three quick things I'd point out that I think make it hard for us to finish well. Three things that uh, make it difficult. One, hurt feelings. Man, we're, we're trying to serve, we're trying to work hard, we do these things, and, and people don't appreciate the things we're doing. Like people don't appreciate our work or, or our effort. It's unnoticed. Maybe people take advantage of you and take advantage of your hard work. You get forgotten about. You get betrayed by people. You feel like you've been ripped off. 
It's hard to finish what God has called you to do because you can feel that way. I know I have. And sometimes we have fatigue. We get to get tired. Like we wonder, man, if it's worth it. Like we've we just been working and working. And, man, I've been doing this thing for years, and I am tired. And is it worth keep, to keep going? And both of these things, Paul keeps going in spite of them. Because Paul experienced both of these things in his life. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. When you are not appreciated, when you are not seen, when you, are, when you do something that seems thankless, man, your work is not in vain. When you are tired, your work is not in vain. Even when it doesn't look like things are working, God is working through your faithfulness. The third thing that pulls us away from finishing strong, I think, is, is divided hearts, that our heart is divided. You want to complete the thing that Jesus has called you to, but there are all these other things that are pulling you away, like comfort, right? You want to do other things. You want to spend your time doing other things. A relationship, maybe you're in a relationship, a friendship or romantic, that is pulling you away from the thing God called you to do. Maybe you have some kind of divided loyalty, Maybe you want more money and so you work more to, to get more money, but in so doing, you forsake the thing God called you to do. Paul didn't just start well. He finished well. And finishing well is so important. And finishing well is also not just the end of your life. Youth, you need to finish high school well. College students, you need to finish college well. Mothers, fathers, you need to finish each day parenting well. We need to see each life, uh, our life, each day as chapters and a page. And we need to complete each one well. And whatever you set your hands to, start it and finish it well. How do we get the strength to finish well? Not by looking at the finish line, because that thing hopefully is way, way far away. But by taking one step at a time, one step of faithfulness, living This day, today, well, living in this moment, well, being faithful here and now, well. The only way to finish well is to be concerned with how you are living now. The slow grind of faithfulness. The slow grind of faithfulness. The faithfulness in the mundane, the simple, the everyday things, the one step at a time until you find yourself at the end. The end of a season, the end of a chapter, and at the end of your life. And when you get to those ends, will you be able to look back over your life and smile and be proud of what you have left in your wake? And when you close each chapter, close each season, when you close your eyes, and when you take that last breath for the last time, let it be that you finish well, that you never gave up, that you kept pressing on being faithful to what God called you to do matter the difficulties around you. I want you all to die well. I, I want to help you prepare for the end so that you might finish the race well. But also that you might live today well. I don't want people to have to lie at your funeral. I've been at funerals. I did more funerals through November and January of last year than I've done in my entire life. And I can tell you, every funeral is different. Some funerals, man, they can't stop, they can't shut up talking about this person, how awesome they were. I'm like, man, I want to go to lunch. And people just like, just going on and on about how great they were. 
and some funerals. Well, I'd really just say he's a jerk, but I guess I can't say that, so I have to come up with something else. I've been at those two. Like, I don't know what to say about them. I don't know what to say. Got to come up with something. We'll just make something up. And boy, that truth gets stretched. And what are they going to say at your funeral? When you are laying in a casket up here, and people got to come up and talk about you, what are they going to say? Too busy for his family. Worked too hard. Cared more about money. Or would they say, man, and he was faithful. She was faithful in what the Lord called him to do. Man, they bravely spoke the truth. Will they get up here looking over your dead body and say, man, they live to point people to Jesus? Will they get up here and they say, man, they always gave more than they took? And when they get up here and they say, man, I want to finish strong like they did. Because let me tell you something that I know for certain. If those five things mark your life, you will live a full, meaningful life. You will make an amazing impact in the lives of those around you. And you will be the kind of person that people long to be around. That people, that you're infectious. You people want to be friends with you. They want to be mentored by you. They want to be around you. You will live a life full of joy and true happiness. But the only way you can have that kind of life is if Jesus is your king, if he is your savior, and you give your whole life, your failures, your strengths, your weaknesses, your sins, and everything to him. And when you give your life, your life wholly to Christ, you'll finally begin to find a life worth living and a death worth honoring. And the only way you will have a life and death like that, the only way that your tombstone will be marked with these truths, and the only way your funeral will be full of people honoring you is if you start living your life in Christ now. Not tomorrow, but today. Not when you clean up your life. Not when you get your act together. Not when you get fix your life, but today. Broken and all. See, Christ stands ready to make you his child. To cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. He is ready to help you be faithful in following him. All you have to do is decide to start following him. Because what does and doesn't get put on your gravestone, what is and is not said at your funeral, even if that's 60 years from now, it begins today. What you want said at your funeral starts today. Live your life. Like you are writing your own funeral sermon. And you will find a life worth living. And you will finish well. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to be a people who run this race faithfully. Who finish each season, each moment, and finish ultimately well. Help us to be a people that are marked by faithfulness, marked by generosity, marked by pointing people to Jesus, marked by speaking the truth. Help us to be a people that people can't stop talking about us at our funerals. Not just because they miss us and they're sad that we're gone, but because of the, of the stuff we left behind us. Because of the, of the, of the life we lived, and the pictures we painted by our life. Father, there are people in this room right now who don't know you. There are people that may be religious in this room. There may be people in this room that think they're a good person, they're good enough to go to heaven or anything like that. Father, would you show them this morning that none of us are good enough and we could ever be good enough. And we are just desperate for your grace this morning. Grace to save us and grace to help us to live 
We're not in this room because we're a bunch of perfect people. We're in this room because we're a bunch of screw-ups in desperate need of grace. God, help us to just embrace that culture. And if you're here in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus, man, I'm going to be up here as we sing this song. Man, I'd love to talk with you about how you can know him. You just got to come. Just be willing to come make him your king. Father, if there are those in this room who want to begin to their life to be shaped by these things, give them the courage to take that step today, to live that way. And if you're here this morning, we can pray for you about anything. And we, or some guys on the sides, I'm going to be up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you about how you might be more faithful to the things the Lord called you to do. God, give us the strength to respond how we need. In Christ's name we pray all people said. And let's stand and sing.